0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And today we're going to talk about uh, some issues that relate to poverty. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have three guests with us today. Michael Ranka is the executive director of the Indiana Coalition on Housing and Homeless Issues. Rebecca Stanzi is here. She's the development coordinator of the Monroe County United Ministries. And Todd Lair is executive director of South Central Community Action Program. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to all of you. Returning guests. Yeah. We've all been here in different programs, so we, we, we have all three, Michael and Todd and Rebecca back, and we're glad to have you. Drop my pen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Bob. (laughs) Hi, very Catherine.
0: Well, we have um, we have a a lot of things to talk about today, and and a lot of it stems from a report that was just released called "Investing in Indiana's Working Families to Build a Twenty First Century Century Economy." Uh, Michael, I want you to to sort of set the the stage with with that report. Uh, Who did it? Why was it done? and maybe give me, you know, one key thing or two that it showed.
2: Great. No, thank you so much. Um, uh, the Indiana Coalition on Housing and Homeless Issues is a statewide coalition um, looking at issues affecting low-income Hoosiers, um, uh, people who are are working, people who are not working, the elderly, children. Um, but we believe that everybody in Indiana deserves the resources and income supports necessary for self-sufficiency. Along those lines, we really wanted to take at how do we help Hoosiers get there. Um, so we said, you know, let's let's start with a fundamental premise in America that everybody who works hard and plays by the rules ought to be able to get ahead. Let's take a look at people who are working, working full-time, um, 39 hours a week, 37 weeks a year, who have a child related by birth, marriage, or adoption, and see what are, what's going on with those families. And we were surprised to find that one out of four, 27% are unable to pay the bills. Uh-huh. Um, they're, they're working, they're doing everything they should, and yet they can't be able to make ends meet, whether that's transportation, housing, child care, food, um, you know, a very basic budget in terms of what you need to make a family work. So that, I,
0: I would hope that that would surprise a lot of people, and, and I think that in the report you refer to some myths that people have about what, uh, what really goes on in the state Mm -hmm. Could you mention a few of those?
2: Absolutely, and I would want to mention that people can go and find the report on the web at ICHHI.org. That's our website, and you can download it from there. You know, there are some myths. I I think that people might believe that Indiana has a culture of welfare dependency. Um, In fact, 73% of low-income families are working and working full-time. There might be some people who would say, well, you know, okay, you're working, but you're just not working hard enough. If people... Would, would work even more, they'd be able to make ends meet. In fact, of the families we looked at, and it's about 200,000 families is, is falls into this category, they're working on average 2,408 hours a year, which amounts to about 1.25 jobs uh, per family. Um, even so, they don't have incomes that meet 200% of the federal poverty level. Um, some people might believe that they're minorities. In fact, the majority are uh, non-Hispanic whites. Um, people might think, well, these are just young kids. Actually, 90% of them are between the ages of 25 and
0: 54. Mm-hmm. Todd, is this consistent with what you see at, uh, at CAP?
3: I think it's absolutely consistent. We see increasingly clients that come in uh, to the agency that are working and struggling to make it. And and they're they're needing rental assistance or they're needing uh, child care or they're needing access to affordable health care there's there's a variety of needs that that lead them to us, but I think it's very consistent with the client base we see
0: mm-hmm. and Rebecca Mackham?
4: well, our child care program is for working families, so all of the families that are enrolled in our program have to be employed or employed and attending school, but we also provide an emergency services program that provides rent and utility assistance, food assistance, clothing. Uh, bus tickets, any basic needs assistance that we can provide. And more than a quarter of those people coming in to look for that type of assistance are employed full or Mm part-time.
1: I'd like to get into the historical aspect of this as far as, is this as a direct result of the decline in manufacturing opportunities, manufacturing jobs in Indiana? Because growing up in this state, um, you know, I'm sure part of it was just because I was a child, but I don't remember there being this kind of one in four families. That's staggering.
2: Right. No, things have really changed, even in relatively a, a recent period of time. If you look in 2000, median household income for families in Indiana was at about forty-seven thousand dollars a year. In um, 2005, that had decreased down to forty-three thousand dollars a year. Um, and and it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> it's supposed right. to go up right. every year. Every year, maybe hopefully a little bit more than inflation. So sure. where as across the country. Families are, are doing maybe even a little bit better. In Indiana, we're seeing um, household income going down, and that's largely because the manufacturing jobs, the jobs that people could get right out of high school um, are going away. We've lost over 105,000 manufacturing jobs in, I believe, the past four or five years, and that decline continues today even with the recent announcements of Honda in uh, Greensburg and places like that. Well, I mean, just because you do an announcement, those jobs aren't going to suddenly materialize, and we're still losing jobs all across the state.
1: Right, And the numbers you're talking about, those jobs will have a nice impact, but not on everybody. So right. there's still a big problem.
2: And, and it also really speaks to, I think, how we need to be looking at our workforce population. Um, you know, it used to be that a high school diploma was enough to get a job at um, GE in the refrigerator plant or at Otis Elevator or at um, GM. Um, today, you're of the ten, top ten jobs, top, hot, top ten hot jobs for the state, nine of them require some advanced degree uh-huh. and yet Indiana is, lags the, all Midwestern states. Um, I believe 48% of um, persons aged between 25 and 54 lack post-secondary education. That's the most of any other state around us including Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio and Wisconsin.
0: We'll get into a, a, a lot of areas that, uh, that you've touched on, but we have uh, a phone call first. So let's go straight to the phones and Bob. Bob?
5: Yeah, hi. Um, I, I appreciate the program today. I just wanted to inquire. I know this it's not really off the subject, but um, recently I, I work for a living and I work around the Bloomington area, and I um, received a check for a job that I did from a, a homeowner, and I took it to the homeowner's bank to cash the check because I don't myself have a checking account. And when I presented the check at the bank, which was for about $180, they informed me that there would be an $8, no, I believe it was a $15 charge to cash the check at that bank. And I just it just occurs to me that that's a tremendous um, penalty, I think, on maybe the working poor, because if you don't in fact have, uh, if you operate in more of a cash society, it's—it's um, it's I think the percentage penalty there is significant. And I, and I thought about this, and I thought, Who should I call? So the program came (laughs) on today, and I just thought I'd bring that up and then, you know, let you go with it. But I just think it's – I understand banks have to, you know, have service charges to do business. But this was at the bank at which the check was written, and I wasn't accustomed to that happening in the past. But they informed me that that is pretty much the case with all of the major banks uh, now that they've instituted these service fees. And they're as low as $8 per – well, I think any check – Eight between eight and fifteen dollars, no matter what the denomination of the check is. But if you consider a week's wages, that's a fairly hefty uh, percentage of what you're you're giving up just for the right to cash the check. Right. So anyway, just wanted to bring that up, well, and fa- I appreciate you know your program.
0: Thanks, Bob. We'll have some comments on it. I'm sure. I see a lot of heads nodding yeah, over here. Yeah, you. My- Michael, you want to go first?
2: Well, certainly. Access to credit, access to financial institutions is a significant barrier for many low income individuals. Um, I'm willing to bet that both for Todd and Rebecca, you're seeing people that are coming in maybe with fees from check cashing places, maybe from um, racking, you know, going to a credit card as a means of getting some credit, and yet, of course, the interest rates are, are significantly higher, and that plays into people requiring assistance.
3: I'd say that's true. Uh, you know, we We discourage that predatory lending practices and accessing the cash uh, advance. uh, stuff. But getting back to the caller uh, in particular, we see a lot of clients that don't have a bank account for whatever reasons. You know, A lot of banks historically um, have used the check system that would check to see if they've had bounce checks and that sort of thing in the past. And so people who have had a little bit of a problem in their past don't have access to uh, a bank account now because some banks limit that. I know there has been a lot of things locally done uh, to get to the unbanked population and encourage them. And some local establishments, including Monroe Bank, I believe, don't subscribe to that, that check system and they don't check that back uh, um, history. So I think there is some things going on to encourage people to have bank accounts on a local level and, and get to that population so that the, those fees wouldn't apply. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it does amaze me the number of barriers that are out there to prevent people from getting back on their feet or just existing day to day, whether it's um, the predatory lending or the rent to own for furniture. Um, mm-hmm. That's a problem we see a lot with our emergency services clients. Um, or it's just a mistake that was made in the past, um, you know, bouncing checks or something that might prevent you from getting an account. Or we have uh, saw a client recently where there was some mistake made in her past, and it was going to cost her three hundred dollars to get her driver 's license back and without driver 's license, she couldn't make it to work and therefore couldn 't sustain herself so there, it's just for a lot of these folks who are struggling with these issues it's just barrier after barrier after barrier
2: right I, I actually wanted to uh, in, a, in my next job to start a, a nonprofit check cashing business <laughs> because I felt that you know uh, if people need access to credit or a place to cash their checks, there ought to be an affordable way to do that. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: Ahead that's ahead. Michael Reinke with his new
1: <laughs>
0: – <laughs> Michael has his his, his new uh, business idea. Uh, our guest today, Michael Reinke, uh, who's the ex- executive director of the Indiana Coalition on Housing and Homeless Issues, Rebecca Stanzi, development coordinator of Monroe County United Ministries, and Todd Lair, executive director of South Central Community Action Program. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu.
1: Can we get back to this education issue mm-hmm. a little bit because I, I'm very interested in, in this aspect of things. For many years now, we've been hearing about lifelong learning and and really kind of an encouragement of that whole culture about you're really never done with school. You should, as an adult, continue to, to seek educational opportunities. Um, what are the barriers for folks who, who need those extra, that extra bit of education in order to get a better paying job?
2: Well, you know, one of them is financial aid. Um, there's a significant amount of financial aid given out um, in Indiana every year, about $190 million, and yet only a very small percentage of 5.7% goes to um, uh, part-time students. Now, we're talking about people who are 90% of them between ages of 25 and 55, mm-hmm. people who are um, working full-time, so they're probably not going to be enrolled full-time. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, these are the very people that we need to be investing in. Some kind of certification, post-secondary education usually means at least seven to $9,000 increase in annual income. So it... it really pays off. And yet I believe where we spend our money is a reflection of our values and priorities. If we're not spending money on helping these people get into school, pay for school, they're probably not, they don't have the resource to make that happen. Um, And yet there's a lot of other things I think that would need to happen in order to help these folks be able to go to school. I I think that probably, again, both uh, Rebecca and Todd are faced with people who it, it may not be possible to be able to go to school and work full-time. Childcare, I imagine, would probably oh, be a big sure. issue.
4: Definitely. Um, going back to Michael's list of myths, a lot of people say, well, why don't you just go back to school, get a degree, and then you can get a better job. But the single mom with two kids who's working a minimum wage job um, not only needs scholarship assistance to pay for school, but living expenses covered so that she can go to school, give up that part-time job, and and go to school. It's not just easy... For, for folks to turn around and say, okay, suddenly I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to find care for my two kids, and we're going to be able to survive while I um, pursue an education that will get me a higher-paying job. So it's the, the, the transition period that's really tough. And um, affordable child care is definitely an issue. Um, all of our families have to be employed um, or going to school and employed um, to access our program, and there are not very many affordable care options in the community mm-hmm. uh, for people who Need that sort of assistance to progress in their workplace or in their education
0: I, I want to again sort of uh, frame this uh, uh, with the what makes somebody a, a low income person because you, you talked about two hundred percent of the poverty level. I think uh, it 's always sort of surprising to me i know i 've talked about we 've talked about on this show before, but the poverty level what people what the federal government says is the poverty level um, is pretty low. So 200% of that is still pretty low. But could you sort of offer what those numbers are?
2: It's actually extremely low. In fact, uh, so low that I don't know that it's a very useful measure. Um, The poverty level was developed back in 1962, 63, when um, very different expenses at the time. Um, Only 40 percent of the working age population was working at the time. And they took the cost to to feed a family of different sizes, multiplied that times three, and that was your poverty level. And then since then, they've just increased it a little bit by inflation every year. Um, We took a look, and again, you can find this on our website at ICHHI.org. And we said, what does it cost for a family to be self-sufficient? We had a very basic budget. Um, You're looking at uh, transportation. You're looking at child care if there are children in the family. You're looking at food. You're looking at housing. You're looking at miscellaneous and, of course, paying taxes. Uh-huh. Um, and so we said you add all those up. You know that We're not talking about going to the movies or anything else like that. You add all those up and actually to be able to be self-sufficient, for a family of four to be self-sufficient with two adults, an infant and a preschool-aged child – in Marion County, in Indianapolis, that costs about $45,000 a year, 45,000. And actually that's about the same in um, Monroe County. um, And it's, uh, although it's a little bit less down in Vanderburgh County, Evansville, it's about 38,000. So we did it for every different county because there's 92 different counties in the state and each county has different expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you take a look at that, that amount, 45,000 for Indianapolis is actually a bit higher than 200% of poverty level. So, we know that it's at least the 200,000 families we're talking about, but in all honesty, it's probably quite a bit more in terms of the number of Hoosiers who can't pay the bills.
3: I think uh, we should talk about this in terms of numbers uh, of people so be- people understand this in in the Four county region that we serve, and that 's Monroe, Brown, Morgan, and Owen counties, there are two hundred and twenty three thousand people uh, in that region, and sixty two almost sixty three thousand would fall below two hundred percent of poverty, which is one in three one in three mm-hmm. of those people would be living in poverty
2: still at two hundred percent of poverty mm-hmm. oh. wow,, and again, by our stats seventy three percent of those would be working full time. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. 855-0811, 877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. That's a a crucial issue. The poverty line or poverty level, a lot of programs that are are set up to help people who are in poverty or low-income people um, will refer to poverty level or 125% of poverty level or something like that. So then you have people who might make Forty thousand dollars, but they don't qualify mm-hmm. for these lower, you know, for because the the uh, the threshold is not well, that
2: high. The the child care vouchers are a really good example where you need to be working, and yet to get a child care voucher, yet you can't be making more than Rebecca is it one hundred and twenty seven percent of poverty? Yes. Um, and so you you need to sort of walk that fine line of, of, yes, I'm working, but I'm not making too much when we know that even if you're making 150% of poverty, you're not being able to pay the bills. Um, although, you know, health insurance is a huge issue. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of whether or not a family can pay the bills, that's, By the way, that's also part of that very basic budget we set Mm -hmm. up. This includes health insurance. Um, And yet to qualify for the state Medicaid program, I believe you can't be making more than like 25 percent of poverty. Like you can't be making more than $2,000 a year in order to qualify for the state's health insurance plan.
0: That's very (laughs) low. (laughs) All right. right, We have a phone call, so let's go to the phones. Diane. Hi, Diane.
6: Hi. uh, I hear you talking about getting a higher education. Are there... Programs available that can help me go back to school?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh- there are, there are a variety of different programs that we would suggest. In fact, one of the things that our report looks at is trying to encourage collaboration. Um, for example, uh, some people might be currently enrolled in adult basic education, um, getting their GED. Um, in that case, it's usually run through the local school system. But one of the issues is that people who are in the adult basic education program don't always go on to Ivy Tech or some other community college. And that would be a next step. Mm-hmm. A pro- program that offers some kind of certification, again, going and getting that certification at some sort of post-secondary education will mean an additional nine to seven to nine thousand dollars in additional annual income for for you or somebody who's going back to school. Then beyond that, some kind of uh, you know four year degree or postgraduate degree might might also be something to consider. Todd. Okay. Yeah, Thank we, you. J- just a second,
3: there. We also, okay. uh, at South Central Community Action, we administer the Individual Development Account Program, and that's uh, useful for... People are encouraged to save, um, and the state will match, usually on a three-to-one basis, their savings. And th- that can be used then to buy a home, uh, to own an asset, or to further um, your education, or even to start a business. Um, so there are uh, assistance programs out
0: there. Is that for people who want to go to school part-time? Yes, that, it, can, it, okay. it can
3: be used for people who want to go to school full or part time.
1: Mm-hmm. No, IU has a, uh, through continuing studies, has a general studies degree program too that might be of interest. Right. Well, did you want to go back for a four year degree or were you thinking of uh, more of a, a two year thing? Uh, right now, a two year. Uh-huh. I have to start somewhere. Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, I think you should contact Todd at uh, South Central Community Action Program. What's your phone number, Todd?
3: You can contact us at our 800 number is one eight hundred eight five zero seven two six two, 850 7262 And you may ask to speak to Kelly, and she will help you with that.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you. D- thanks a lot, Diane. 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. We
7: have Jerry
0: on the phone. Jerry?
7: Hi, how are you? Good. Good. This um, so is my question, uh, just real briefly, um, is for everybody there. Um, Obviously, you have a lot of working poor, and I'm going to assume, even though I didn't quite catch it here, I just tuned in, I'm going to assume that most of these people, I'm going to hazard a guess, are connected to the service industry at some, at some juncture in their lives here, in their working lives. Do you have any figures on that?
2: In terms of the actual breakdown in terms of where people are working, um, huh? certainly the service industry is, is a significant employer, um, uh. Uh, transportation well, let, let industry ahead. as well.
7: Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
2: No, no, no. I, I was just going to mention service industry, yep. t- transportation industry, right. um, would be. That,
7: that's you yeah. know that's been my experience too. And I guess this question, I'm going to throw it out there for the three of you, uh, since you know we all seem to be searching for solutions for this this problem. Um, have the three of you ever thought about partnering with organized labor to make things happen in a quicker venue for the folks out there, uh, particularly in the service industry, since that is a big percentage.
2: Well, actually, um, the, uh, the institute which put out this report, we have uh, Kathy Clayton, who is with the um, AFL-CIO uh, 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 Institute for, for Organized Labor. She serves on the advisory board for the institute, and we believe this information is good for anybody who would care to be using it. Um, we think that this is not a partisan issue. It's not a Democrat-Republican issue. Investing in Indiana, investing in our people is something that we think everybody should care about.
7: Well, it's it's not a political issue. That's not what I'm getting at. Um, you know, traditionally organized labor has had a, a long, long, successful history in the past of partnering with folks such as yourself, the three of you, to uplift you know people that are that are stuck in what's quote unquote the working poor. Um, you know, the particular you know organized labor uh, union that I belong to uh, does this quite effectively by you know bringing people in. Uh, and also getting them a college degree at no no cost to themselves. Now, you know, my feeling is that it's the quickest and least painful way to, number one, uplift, you know, people out there that are in that 73% bracket that you've mentioned out there uh, as far as getting, getting them a better standard wages and health benefits, which you also managed, mm-hmm. and also eventually getting them at the very least an associate's degree through institutions like Ivy Tech here in the state. Now we found in, in our particular case that it's a win-win situation. And it's always puzzled me why, why you know, that, you know, uh, organizations like the three of you are connected to don't really make an active, active coalition with organized labor to address that issue head on. Uh, it seems to me that, that that would be the best and most effective and quickest way to uh, start moving in the right direction. Not, and, I'm not, and I'm not denigrating your other programs that you have in place. They're, they're wonderful programs. But it just it seems to me like it's a common sense approach to it. I, I don't know what do you guys think?
2: I think there's a real opportunity there. Um, in fact, uh, Ken Zeller, who's the uh, director of the AFL-CIO of Indiana, I believe yeah, I has, has this report, and, and we were hoping to be able to do a presentation for them, just in terms of recommendations. We need everybody to be working on these issues and to be saying uh, we need some system change. We need a, a a consciousness shift in terms of how we're looking at our our most important resource, our workers in Indiana. Mm-hmm.
7: Exactly, and you know, and I don't want to you know hog up all the airtime here, but <laughs> my exp- my experience has been—I won't get on my soapbox here—but my experience has been that you know, and I'll and I'll just say this straight up: that most employers, you know, and and I'm not painting them with an evil brush or anything, but most employers really kind of like to have people right where they're paying them at the at the salary levels that they have them at, and the hourly employees, you know, the hourly wage they have them at. And they really don't have much motivation or inclination to pay them anymore, you know, for, for a myriad of reasons that they always trot out when they're confronted with things like this. Has that been your experience also?
2: We've really been more looking at how can the state be trying to invest in the population we're talking about. Um, We think that there's a lot that needs to happen, uh, collaboration, accountability, and uh, income supports for the families, whether that's increasing EITC, um, increasing the child care vouchers, um, increasing health insurance and the availability of health insurance. Um, There's a lot that needs to be done, and I think that certainly organized labor would play a role in making that happen. What's EITC? Um,
7: Uh, How much uh, – I I hate to keep it, you know, and I keep saying I'll get off the line here, but, you know, how much – Last question.
2: (laughs)
0: All right, Jerry, last question. Go ahead. Okay. All
2: right. uh, EITC would be the earned income tax credit. Uh, One of the Mm -hmm. things about that earned income tax credit is that it is – it rewards people for working, Mm -hmm. you know. So if you are working and you're working hard, the uh, federal government and the state government says we're going to give you a little bit more to help – Get you to the point where you can actually pay the bills. You know, again, going back to that promise that America is built on. If you work hard and play by the rules, you should be able to make it. Right now, unfortunately, um, Indiana's Earned Income Tax Credit is only six percent of the federal tax credit. There is bill. There is a bill in the state legislature that we are um, pushing that would actually raise that to nine percent. We'd love to see it at fifteen percent of the of the federal EITC level because again, it encourages people to be able to work and to be able to support their family. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I have to apologize to Jerry. I didn't mean to chase him off like that. I, I wanted to give him one more question. I didn't mean that was his last question. But we – oh, Todd, go ahead and then yeah, we're going to take a break. On
3: so. the uh, earned income tax credit, you know, it, it's important to uh, let people know that this is tax season and you can – there is assistance available locally to get your taxes filed for free um, if you qualify for that earned income tax credit. And the program is being offered at various locations here and I don't have them in front of me but I know the, the main one is at Ivy Tech. Uh, so if you contact
2: Ivy Tech, uh, you could get assistance. In, in claiming that
1: credit. How do you know if you qualify for the earned income tax credit? Um,
2: th- I, I believe that it goes up to $27,000 a year in annual income. So that, okay. that's a rough way to look at it. It may be a little bit more than that. But let me say that um, if for the most recent year the data was available, Indiana lost $110 million in earned income tax credit money from the federal government because we just didn't apply for it. One hundred and ten million dollars sounds like a lot of money to me. It yeah. does, yeah.
1: Just before we go to break, one quick question: What is the annual income for someone making minimum wage? One one employee making minimum wage about
0: ten thousand dollars a year.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about minimum wage after the break. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're having ta- a hard
1: time keeping us in line today. <laughs> aren't that's Bob? all right. That's all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're talking about uh, poverty issues today with uh, Michael Ranka, Rebecca Stanzi, and Todd Lair. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
8: www.southdunnstreet.info Speak Your Mind is WFIU's equivalent to a letter to the editor. This two-minute commentary allows persons from our community to present thoughts about current global and local issues. To submit your idea for an upcoming Speak Your Mind or for a set of guidelines, you may call us at 812-855-1357 or visit our website at wfiu.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. We have three guests with us today. Michael Ranka is the Executive Director of the Indiana Coalition on Housing and Homeless Issues. Rebecca Stanzi is Development Coordinator from Monroe County United Ministries. And Todd Lair is the Executive Director of South Central Community Action Program. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855 0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And we're going to go right back to the phones. Anna is next. Anna? Yes. Go right ahead.
6: I was wanting to know what other type of um, child care facilities are in the area, like other than Mackham, for, for people that can't afford it?
4: Well, Head Start is one um, obvious answer for uh, folks who need care on a, on a lower income um, basis and then there are two other I believe um, centers in the community that accept the uh, child care development fund vouchers that are made available through the state um, so that is um, another option for people who are looking for low low cost um, high quality care but There are definitely not enough spots um, for all the children that need the care. We maintain a a waiting list of at least 30 kids at any given time. Um, We know the need is much, much greater than that, but um, we're not able to serve everyone who is in need of care.
6: Now, what is Head Start? Is that for just, like, county people or, or what?
4: Head Start is available
3: across the state. In this county, in Monroe County, um, South Central Community Action has uh, nine sites that we offer uh, Head Start at, and it's for children ages three to five, so that's the preschool age. Uh, It's a comprehensive educational component. You have a family services component to help the family uh, with their multiple needs, Um, the health component uh, to have access to health care, so there's multiple phases. We also, for working families, offer a full day plan. Head Start typically is a half day uh, plan, and we offer a full day for working families at a, at a very reasonable uh, fee. Um, our fee scale is, runs from $30 per week um, to $60 a week, depending on the income of the family. So, you know, $120 a month uh, for access to full day care is, is pretty reasonable. And that would include the child's uh, meals for the day. Mm-hmm.
6: And, and who would I need to contact?
3: You would need to contact us at the uh, South Central Community Action Program. You can dial it locally at 339-3447 um uh, and then okay.
5: and then
0: follow the prompts and it'll lead you to the Head Start program.
5: All right. Okay.
6: Thank you. Okay, Thank you. Anna.
0: Thanks a lot for the call. 855 811 877 9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Fred is next, Fred.
9: Yes, uh, gentlemen. Um I would like to lay out my vision my, uh, for Indiana, and and I believe that the impoverished have a have a role, have a great role to play uh, in the um, in this vision. Uh, you know, the greatest monuments uh, to um, engineering and human ingenuity were created during the Great Depression. And a lot of that, a lot of the roads and bridges and these wonderful engineering things that we see, these schools, libraries, they were built uh, with the WPA and other, um, and other agencies of government that put people to work. Now, my grand vision is based on Indiana, is based on the fact that most people want a clean, quiet. A friendly, civilized place in which to work, live, study, pray, raise their families in relative peace and quiet. Now, how do we get there? We're not going to get there with the automobile culture. It's destroying us. It's destroying the environment. What we need is, is, is something that we had in the 1940s, which is a an advanced a, a, a rail system that can get you from point A to point B without using a car. And we used to have it, and we don't now because of uh, various political and economic forces that have just trumped the needs of people. Um, I would like to see Indiana bill itself as the quality-of-life state. I want to see that on the license plates. I'd like to see that on the license plates. Do you know how many people would come to a state that offered a sophisticated rail system, quiet communities and I stress quiet, uh free of, of free of uh lots of traffic and a place where they can raise their children like they used to be able to do so like they we used to have uh towns and cities like that in the 1950s when I grew up where you knew your neighbors and you could go and play on the streets and you could go to local schools and everything worked rather well. What's happened? The, the transcendent automobile culture has has steamrolled our human values. We need to get back to a rail system, and for envi- not only for environmental but for economic reasons.
0: All right, Fred. Now, can you relate this to the poverty topic? What today?
9: about uh, uh, allowing for this? Uh, uh, this grand vision is achieved with a W.A. Uh, style program in which. There's a uh, gas tax, gasoline tax imposed by the state of Indiana. That money is used to uh, pay people who are in the underclass to build out the railroads and the light rail systems and the streetcar systems that we desperately need in Indiana and transform this state into a place where people would really – and they would come from all over the country to Indiana. There's no question in my mind if they could find a place like
0: this. All right, Fred. It sounds like you've almost declared your candidacy for governor. Anyway.
9: <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> well, but
0: it's an interesting vision. And, I, and
2: uh, you know, there, again, there's a few head, head nods going on. Michael? Well, I, I don't know that I'm I'm in a position to be championing um, a dramatic investment in Indiana's rail culture, although that sounds like a very interesting idea. Um, I, I would make maybe a, a couple of smaller recommendations. Um, I think that we need to raise our minimum wage from uh, – up to $7.50 an hour. Right now, in Bloomington, you would need to work 104 hours a week at minimum wage in order to be able to afford a two-bedroom apartment, and yet it's 110 hours a week if you were over in Columbus, where we also have a transponder. I'd like us to stop taxing um, people who are working and yet are below the poverty level. In fact, I'd really like to ask Indiana to stop taxing families who are making less than 200 percent of poverty because we know that they can't pay the bills. Um, people who can't pay for their own expenses should be given all the support they can, and we shouldn't be then asking them additionally to cover uh, additional expenses.
0: All right. Those are, those are two steps, and then the rail culture would be a third. Would be a third. Right. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Fred. We've got a couple thanks. other phone calls that we're going to go to. So John is next on the line, then we'll get to Marcy. John?
10: Hi. I'd like to follow up on uh, a question of Jerry's earlier in the program. Um, I believe he was asking the panelists to speak to the role of economic ideology among business organizations and business leaders on the issue of homelessness and i I think the the question was sort of diverted I don't think there was an answer and um, so i'd I'd be interested in what is the role the the big role of economic ideology on the issue of homelessness and do your panelists uh, have fears about talking about that publicly? <laughs>
2: actually one of the reasons why we wanted to take a look at this report is that we felt that too oftentimes conversations about um, the people who are perhaps most in need of support, most deserving, get caught up in terms of a political conversation of left and right. Mm -hmm. You know, if we say, you know, how do we help low income people? um, You know, the stereotypical Republican might say, well, just get a job. The stereotypical Democrat might say, we just need to love people more. Um, (laughs) What we're saying is is that here are some, here's a real problem that we can we can point to, we can say this is a big issue for Indiana, um, and, and yet there are very specific things that we can do as a state that will be able to help. Um, and, and it's also important to remember that we're not going to grow our way out of this problem. Indiana is a low-growth state in terms of population. We're not going to have a huge number of children grow. Even if we do everything we need to do in terms of public education for kids who are under the age of 18... These workers, people who are 25 to 54, we have to be investing in them if we want to see Indiana's economy be able to compete with India, China, everywhere else. And so I think that more and more people, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, regardless of whether you're the employer or the employee, more and more people are coming together and say, we need to invest in our most valuable resource, the people who live in Indiana.
4: And we, we may be getting a little farther away from the caller's question again, but <clears throat> I think another important thing for us to be thinking about is the lives of the people that we're trying to help, what those lifestyles are, and, and not just impose policy upon them, but Consider their lifestyles um, when trying to um, assist them. We talked about the Child Care Development Fund vouchers earlier, and um, that's a, a program where the the minimum or the I guess the maximum um, income level has g- increased dramatically over the past several years to eliminate a large pool of people from that program. But even now, if you're at 127% of poverty and you're um, eligible for getting these vouchers, you are on a wait list for at least six months, and then you um, have to find a window of time during your day to go and enroll. And often you're told what time to be there, and if you're starting a job or in classes, you're not always available at that time, which then puts you at the bottom of the list. Um, And then folks are, once they're actually enrolled, they're asked to re, um, recertify themselves every six months. So this is, again, uh, a, a barrier for them to get into that program, to stay employed and to have their children in quality care because we're, we're not considering their issues, their lifestyles when we're setting up the policy.
1: Uh, let
0: me take the sort of middle ground that the moderator can take and say that I think you know, Jerry was talking mainly about labor and how labor can get involved and, and John wanted to go back to that question. I think labor needs to be involved. Management needs to be involved. Republicans need to be involved. Democrats need to be involved. That's right. what – that's sort of – libertarians need to be involved. That's what you're right. talking about. You You've laid out the problem, the issue. You three are all very articulate talking about it. You see it every day. So it, it's going to take – everybody working on the issue.
2: Just as an an example of that, in our report we mentioned that a study by the Chamber of Commerce, um, which would certainly be an advocate for business, um, identifies that one million Hoosier workers lack basic workplace literacy. And, And so there you see that People recognize that this is an issue. Mm -hmm. Employers know that if I don't have a workforce that can be doing the job, um, well, it's not just that people in Indiana need extra assistance. My business is not going to be doing well. Um, Wouldn't it be great if we had a goal for our community, for our state to say we would like to see that one million number go down to – be reduced by 25% in five years, be reduced by 50% in 10 years, to eliminate workplace literacy in Indiana. And that's something that everybody needs to be pulling together, volunteering, donating their time, donating their resources to make happen.
1: Okay. Uh, Here's a very quick email that came in, uh, Rebecca. It's, is MACM affiliated with a specific religion?
4: No, we are not. Um, Monroe County United Ministries was started in 1939 by a group of women that's now called Church Women United, and we receive uh, support, volunteer support, financial support, food support from a variety of faith communities, but there's no element of religion in our services that we provide. Okay, thank you. All right,
0: we're going back to the phones. We have a couple phone calls. Marcy, I said you were next, and you are. Marcy? (laughs) Marcy?
4: Hi. Um yes, I was
6: calling because there was a mention earlier about a program that is offered for possible uh, uh post-secondary education. Um I think it was with um Mr. Lair, Todd. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um is, what what are I, I didn't hear any requirements um for that particular program. Um, Is is there any, like, base requirements? Is this, you know, a a program that's offered to all of the clients that you serve? Um, Or are there different poverty levels that, that you have to meet?
3: Yes, you would have to – there are certain requirements. I appreciate the question. Uh, For that program, you would have to meet the 175 percent of poverty level. There are also requirements that you be working um, while uh, enrolled in the program and that you be making um, a committed uh, donation or a committed amount uh, to your uh, development account uh, so that you can be matched by the state. Um, Those are the baselines I think and uh, for anything else, you probably want to contact our office.
6: Okay. And, and was there a contact name again? I, I missed that. I'm sorry.
3: Yes. Uh, you can contact uh, our 800 number at 1-800-850-7262 and ask to speak to Kelly. And that would be available to residents of Monroe, Morgan, Owen, and Brown County.
2: And, and I know that WFIU has a broad listening area. So if you're outside of that area, you could go to IHcda. That's ihcda.in.gov. Um, that's the state agency that administers the IDA account, and you should be able to find the organization that provides that program for your county off of that state website. All right. Uh, anything else, Marcy?
1: No, no. That okay. really helped. Thank you very much. Great.
2: We hope everybody Best has
1: wishes, Marcy.
0: pens and pencils and paper next to their, their radios today. We have uh, three more phone calls. We're going to try to get to them all. Uh, Jamie is next. Jamie?
6: Hi there. Oh, hi. Um, I am in the poverty classification, and I, I'm not taxed. Um, and probably because I am literate, I'm able to get through all the paperwork. Um, jobs is perfectly available for me, but, you know, I have to be aware of it, and I have to be able to to fill out the paperwork or be willing to not be afraid of, of having the government know where I am and all this. Um, I wanted to make a point that the economy always adjust historically speaking, to um, minimum wage. So raising minimum wage just makes everything go up. Um, the problem ha- happens in this literacy problem, um, which can be traced back to the the division of, uh, of the education school from the university system, where we end up with uh, teachers that teach that do not, do not have any kind of particular degree. They just have a teaching degree. So um, it affects the basic work, workplace literacy. I mean, it affects... It's kind of embarrassing, but you have people going to 16 not being able to read or, or know any kind of um, legend, mythology, classics that make our system work. Um, and one of the big problems that... One of the things that can be traced is in all these psychiatric studies, it has finally become clear that um, one of the problems is that moms are no longer home for for little kids. Um, They have made it clear that the moral and ethical and language development skills are not being um, taught because of this uh, bond that has effectively been broken, say, since maybe the 70s. Um, and now is being encouraged, in, in my opinion, by having all-day kindergarten, we no longer will have it. And we, we already have proven that the schools are not capable of teaching people to read, um, which is a really basic skill, uh, especially if we want them to be able to take advantage of the things that are available while they are poor. Um, the On the other hand, we can't just say all these people... Um oh well, they haven't been taught, so they're out the window, so we have to deal with a common um we have to deal with a a, a short term uh aid for them and um some of these things could be instated, such as learning to cook from scratch instead of um what I've noticed when i've seen poor people actually shopping they they buy all these like pre fab things which cost four times as much as you know, broccoli by itself. And anyway, broccoli by itself is better for you. It's just that now in high school, you're no, no longer taught how to do home ec. You know, the original idea from the 40s was to teach the kids how to how to cook so that they would be healthy. And um, now we no longer do that. So I just, I want to say that there are lots of programs out there, especially in Indiana. Um, and we need to readjust our economy, uh, perhaps, uh, saying that taxes for these people can be based on only one person working um, so that we can get more moms that want to to stay home and be with their kids and teach them how to communicate right. with one another. Anyway, that's All right. You know, it's kind of mixed up. But well, th- no,
2: thanks for your comments. We appreciate Alrighty. it. All right. Thank Alrighty. you. Thanks a lot for the comments. Michael, you, well, a- you know, I think that it certainly is true that we have a greater percentage of the work Of the working age population working right now, it's about 70% back in the 1970s, it was around 40% of the working age population was actually working, um, which has increased the need for child care. A lot of that is driven by jobs that are not paying what they used to. Um, You know, if you were making $10,000 a year back in 1972, that would be the equivalent of more than $32,000, $33,000 a year today. Um, And many times those jobs are simply not available. Um, I would say it's something that we need everybody to get involved in. We need everybody to be supporting this effort. Um, you know, it's a small thing, but one thing people could do, there's actually a walk coming up. It's it's sort of around this issue in terms of poverty, but on April 15th, there's a Homeward Bound Walk. Um, it's a walk, a statewide walk. It's taking place in Bloomington and in Indianapolis, I think, in most places where this radio station has a presence. And we would encourage people to be part of that walk, to uh, raise awareness, raise friends, and raise money for the organizations that are helping around this issue.
0: We've got two more callers, but before we go there, Rebecca, there's an event coming up with Mackham? Yes.
4: Yes. We also have a, a fundraising event that's an opportunity for people to get involved. Um, it is a luncheon and silent auction that's going to be held on March 25th at Terry's. And tickets are available at uh, the Inner Chef and a different drummer and uh, are $20 apiece for adults and $10 for kids. And it's a great opportunity for people to learn more about the issues that we've been talking about today and Macomb's programs.
0: Okay. Todd, anything coming up? Okay. Not right now. All right. Let's go back to the phones. We have two more phone calls in about four more minutes. So, Sandy, go ahead. Nope, Sandy's gone. Let's go to Phil. Phil?
10: Yeah, hi. I would like to hear more about um, how expensive it is or how much more expensive it is to be poor. Uh, Stimulated by the fellow who complained about the bank refusing to cash their own checks uh, without a little uh, tip up front... That used to be, we used to call that dishonor. And now we've got payday lenders. We used to call those loan sharks. Uh, And um, I, I suspect you can probably do an entire program on how much more expensive it is and how many more... Uh, hurdles you have to jump, uh, expensive ones too, if you're poor. And I just wondered if that is any part of your study.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll let them answer, but I, I'm always struck by the fact that if somebody can't pay their credit card bill off, their interest rates get increased by about
1: double. Mm-hmm. Or if you bounce you know? a check, there's a $35 or something dollar reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they create
0: their own
10: particular trapped wage slaves that way.
0: Okay, if we could, uh, uh, a short answer because we have Sandy back and apparently uh,
2: Well, just really quickly, I think that it affects every aspect of life, whether you're talking about health insurance, access to health care. We know that it's cheaper to treat um, an illness like diabetes as a managed care condition than when you have to deal it as a crisis and somebody goes into a diabetic coma and yet if you don't have insurance and if you're not, you can't afford insulin, then you're going to be going to the emergency room. Um, If you want cheap housing, if you're living in Monroe if, and you're around the Monroe County, working in Monroe County, you're probably going out to Greene County. So that means you have additional costs mm-hmm. living out in Greene County, you have additional costs in transportation. And by the way, that ends up affecting Monroe County ta- property taxpayers because then we have increased work on the roads and the roads get fall apart and that costs a lot of money as well.
0: All right, All those things add up. All right, Phil, thanks a lot for the call. Sorry we can't spend more time with you. Uh, Sandy, we've got you back, so we've got about a minute to go. Sandy?
6: Uh, yes, uh, I didn't have any questions. I just wanted to uh, call in and comment on the services there about the eat program and uh, how they take care of my mother and her uh, help with her electric bills and et cetera. And also they did weatherization on her house and helped to keep her floors from falling in from being rotted <laughs> underneath and uh, things like that. And they did a thorough uh, check of all the things in the house and the energy use and all of that as well. And just want to thank them for the great job that
0: they do there. All right. Thanks a lot. An endorsement for Todd Lair. And Cap. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for uh, calling. Could we uh, offer a few phone numbers very quickly in the last 30 seconds uh, in case people want more? Rebecca?
4: Uh, yes. we can. You can call MACM at 339-3429, and we'd be happy to discuss any of these issues or our programs.
0: And Todd? You can reach us toll-free at 1-800-850-7262. And uh, also, there's the 211 number for people in town if they want to call for uh, anything. That One has to stop do with
1: shopping, and they'll point first. you in the right direction if you don't have uh, right. uh, these numbers here. And we
0: are out of time. I want to thank our guests today, and I want to thank Mary Catherine for being here, as well as Catherine Hegeman and Mike i on Bob Zalzberg. Thanks for listening.
8: Great. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.